Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brian. That was very encouraging to me to get up and preach, have somebody pray for you right before you preach like that. That's uh, very helpful. don't see that a lot uh, in places that I've been, and I, I appreciate the consideration. It's good to be here. I want to say welcome uh, to everyone from the conference, or, or basically hello from the conference. Greetings. Uh, Bishop Nunn and the rest of the cabinet offer their uh, greetings to Village United Methodist Church here in Oklahoma City. And as an extension of the bishop, it's my privilege to be here preaching today. Uh, I've been going around and have been in uh, various churches around the district, and it's been uh, just a joy for me to get to see churches kind of uh, pulling back in and coming back as we've all experienced uh, separation and uh, loss, in a sense. And so it's, it's good to gather again. It's one of those things, as, as I kind of come around, I know pastors have been under a lot of stress, and so... It's nice for me to come and preach uh, so that they can kind of uh, not have to feel like I'm here scrutinizing them and, and um, tends to make some pastors nervous when the DS shows up. I don't know that Pastor Lane ever gets nervous about anything. I've never seen her get nervous. But for most pastors get nervous, I think, when the DS shows up. Uh, and so uh, in any event, it's good to be here. Um, I did want to say that I'll be preaching on the series, uh, Loving Our Neighbor, and so we're looking at the lectionary text today. This is from 1 Kings, and it's chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, and in this reading, we have the prophet Elijah, and as we think about where he was in history, Elijah probably lived in the 9th century uh, BCE, and he lived during King Ahab's reign of Israel, and Ahab, we know, is kind of uh, positioned himself, even uh, other, other non-biblical sources have said, yes, this is where he lived and how he lived. And they date him roughly 870 to 850 B.C. So we see that uh, far back in history is what we're talking about in this text we read today. And the town in today's reading, Zarephath, is located on the Mediterranean coast, and now it's near modern Seraphand, which is in Lebanon, and it's just west of Damascus, that ancient city, which is uh, still alive and living today. And so as we see that, um, it's interesting, Zarephath was known for its olive oil. Now just prior to today's reading, Elijah has been suffering along with everybody else in a drought, and he's down by living by a river uh, out in the wilderness, and ravens have been coming to feed him. And so the river, because of the drought, has now dried up. And so uh, Elijah is once again on the move. And that gives us context for today's reading. I invite you to hear this good word. The Lord's word came to Elijah, get up and go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. Elijah left and went to Zarephath. And as he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her, Please, get a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. She went to get some water. He then said to her, Please, get me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any food, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and my son. 
will eat the last of the food and then die. Elijah said to her, Oh, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little loaf of bread for me first. Then bring it to me. You can make something for yourself and your son after that. This is what Israel's God, the Lord, says. The jar of flour won't decrease and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. So the widow, Elijah, and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. This is the word of life for God's people. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Oh, good and gracious God, as we gather here and we pause in our lives to worship you, we stop and we meditate on your word at this point. And so we ask that you cast all our other thoughts and cares aside as we consider how your word is speaking to each of us. May your Holy Spirit attend to each of us as we attend to your word. And may discernment lead to action. We pray all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I played soccer as a kid growing up over in Tulsa. That was, and then later Sepulpa. Soccer was my sport of choice. And um, it was fairly new at the time. It was kind of a new thing when I was playing. That dates me a little bit. But um, when my kids got in soccer, it was great because they were just very little. They were smaller than I was when they started out. And uh, if you've ever seen little kids before they start school play soccer, it's like a mob. Just like it just kind of it just moves. It's a big group that just moves after wherever the ball is. That's where the mob is. And they're all there's no positions. There's no goalies. There's nothing. It's just the mob. And it just moves around with the ball. And so it's kind of a fun thing to to watch. You'd think that you could never score a goal that way, and yet somehow it happens. And as the kids get older, then they begin to put them in positions. And this rubs them the wrong way. A lot of times to start off, it's hard to learn a position because I want to be where the ball is. You know, you don't want to stand over here. And yet we learn as we grow older that if you're, if you're not in the right position, uh, you're going to let your team down because you're not going to be in the right place for a pass that's needed. You've got to be spaced out. Or you're not going to be in the right place to make the defensive play because that side of the field won't be covered. And so learning that is kind of important, although it kind of goes against the grain. It goes against our instincts because we want to be where the action is. And yet we're called to play our position. It's interesting, as, as you see later in professional sports, all things being equal... You see that the disciplined team beats an undisciplined team every time with everything else being equal. And so it's, it's important that we kind of understand that and see that. I think that's important for us to see where Elijah was. I don't think Elijah was probably excited about this new plan that God had. Um, you know, he, he's called to go to Zarephath, and that's a foreign town. That's not part of Israel. It's outside of Israel. And... They say that custom was that when you left Israel and then you came back, um, a lot of times they would take their sandals off and they'd dust off the shoes. And that's so you didn't track 
you know, the unclean dust or dirt into God's holy land. And so that was an important process. So to go outside, maybe not the best plan. Uh, going to Zarephath, that's what he's, he's wanting you to do. And then God says, I'm going to have a widow feed you. And that would also not be really the greatest thing to hear. A widow? You want a widow to feed me? You know, it'd be much better, what you expect God to say is, I want the ruler of the town to feed you. The ruler's going to feed you. And that, oh, okay, great. That's a lot more prestigious. You know, a prophet of God would get to be with the ruler, and they'd have a nice feast, and everybody would be there. Everybody of importance would come. And, you know, they would understand that who I am as the prophet, Elijah, you know, and honor would be accorded me as according to my status. So that would be much better than a widow, <laughs> a widow. Makes you wonder about putting ourselves in the right place at the right time. But, you know, Elijah's not exactly had the best kind of circumstance leading up to this. He's been living basically, uh, essentially, in a van down by the river, and he's had ravens feeding him. And ravens were an unclean bird as well, so, you know, this is actually a step up to what he's been experiencing. So he says, okay, I, I'm glad to go. And then he goes to Zarephath and he encounters this woman picking up sticks outside the gate of the town. And as I read this, I mean, it, it hits me every time I read this story. Does it seem a little audacious to you for Elijah to say, oh yeah, go ahead and do what I told you to do. You know, she tells him, you know, I'm about to die. We're starving to death. We don't have any resources. We've just got enough to feed one last meal. Then we're going to die. And then what does Elijah say? He's like, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I get that. But do what I said anyway. <laughs> and it'll, it'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. It's almost, it almost reminds us in a little bit, a little ways of a TV evangelist, you know, that's kind of preying on the widow that said, yeah, send in that social security check and God will multiply it and bless you and you'll be fine and it'll, it'll all be great. And it seems almost like that's what Elijah's doing. No doubt this passage has been misused many times throughout the years. But as we consider loving our neighbor, while this seems like the opposite of what we should be doing, I want to invite us into the idea of not ministry for someone, but rather ministry with someone, where they have something to contribute, and we are able to receive it. Because that's a different kind of space that we find ourselves occupying. And a lot of times when we want to be a mission for someone, we say, well, I'm going to go to you and do this for you, and you'll get a lot out of it, and I'll just feel good about it. <laughs> you know, a lot of times that's how we approach mission, is that I've got resources and I'm going to share with you. You don't really have anything to share with me, but it's me giving to you. Whether mission with someone is rather that we share our resources together and we find God's blessing through that. I think that's what's going on in this text. What does it mean for us to receive the gifts and the talents of those we're in ministry with and offer them honor and respect? So I wonder about this passage. 
why do you think they wrote this one down? I mean, there's lots of passages about Elijah, probably lots of miracle stories. They happened within the oral tradition, and so there would have been oral stories about the prophet Elijah ranging way back into antiquity. And at some point, the redactor, kind of listening to God's voice, pulled in the oral stories and wrote down specific stories of Elijah, putting them in a specific order to tell the story, to tell God's story among us. And so it went from oral tradition, which is many stories told in random order, to defined set telling. And the author said, this one is important. Why this one? Why this one? I think the clue for me is about the widows and orphans. We see the widow, obviously, collecting sticks. The orphan is her son, who has been orphaned when the father died. And they're in need, obviously. And Exodus reminds us, uh, 2222 states clearly, you shall not abuse any widow or orphan. And then Deuteronomy follows up with this. 1018 says that God executes justice for the widow and orphan, providing them food and clothing. Jesus later mentions this very story. He's talking to his hometown, and he's kind of rolling out the first sermon, and he talks about the widow of Zarephath. He said, you know what? When there was a drought... There's probably a lot of widows. (laughs) And God sent Elijah outside of Israel to Zarephath. And I think maybe the way Jesus told this was saying that, you know, there's, there's a lot of widows, of course, in Israel, but God was clear about what our expectations of how we should treat them, right? And so if God was clear, surely there weren't any in need in our neck of the woods. And so Elijah went outside, right? And I'm sure this was, you know, said with a lot of sarcasm, the idea that, yeah, we're, I'm sure we're all taking care of our folks, right? Our neighbors among us, right? So we had to go outside because you couldn't find any that were in need here among us. And I'm sure that kind of made them mad a little bit. They said they tried to throw Jesus off the cliff after this sermon. So it wasn't a real good first sermon, at least as far as how it was well-received among his kin. So the story of Elijah, I think, is a reminder of who we are, and it reminds us of what God wants us to do. It takes these two kind of just, this is what you do passages from Exodus and Deuteronomy, And it kind of gives a narrative around it to say this is the story around those passages. This is what it means to care for the widow and the orphan. That you provide them with dignity and respect as you minister with them. We've got a situation in our country with Afghan refugees Tens of thousands are going to be coming into our country and they're going to need places to stay and places to live. It's not an easy thing to to welcome people into your home, but Kenneth and Addie Martinez have decided to open their home. They said they have a spare bedroom and they're going to bring this family in. 
It's interesting because they also were uh, immigrants to the United States from Mexico in 2011. And now they live in Seattle, Washington, and, and they said that they've got this family living with them, and the adults kind of prepare dinner, and the kids play together. They said, it's, it's working out great so far. They just said, we're just happy we can help. This is what Kenneth said. He said, we know exactly what it feels like to come to a brand new country with no family or anything. Now that's a remarkable story because he's, the, the Martinez family has let the hardship of their life, difficult time, shape them not to where it becomes you know, this crusty shell <laughs> that makes them hard to the world, but it, it softened their heart towards others who might be in the same plight. And that's what this story does for the people of God is it reminds us who we are. Time and again, if you read the Hebrew Scriptures, God is sharing with God's people, look, remember when you were slaves in Egypt? Remember when you were the stranger and you had to kind of operate out of grace? He said, well, then have some grace and compassion for others in your midst. And it's a story that reminds us this is who we are and this is is the proper response of how we should be. I think Elijah shares that with us in this story today, that we can provide dignity and respect with those we're in ministry with. There was an author that wrote about when they were in college. They said their second month in college, they remembered clearly a pop quiz the professor gave. Now, this, this author said, I was a pretty conscientious student, and so... It was not hard. I knew the stuff. I knew my, you know, I was, I was flying through this quiz until I got to the last question. The last question on the quiz said, what is the name of the woman who cleans our school? <laughs> and I don't, I don't have any idea. He said, I saw the woman. You know, she's dark haired. She's probably uh, in her 50s, um, tall. I have no idea what her name was. And others obviously had struggled with this as well. And, and one student asked what was on the mind of all the students. And that was, that, is this last question really going to count off against us, you know, when, when our grades are, are put in? And the professor said, absolutely. <laughs> he said, in your careers, you may meet many people, all significant. They deserve your attention and care even if all you do is smile and say hello. And the author says, I've never forgotten that lesson. And I learned that her name was Dorothy. You know, how we treat others matters. And we may never get to Zarephath, but we may find that Zarephath has come to us. So how do we offer... God's blessing, just like Elijah, through what we say and what we do, how can our words and our actions provide blessings to others so that their cup never runs out and always remains full? In the whisper test, Marianne Bird writes of how she knew that she was different from a very young age. She had a cleft palate. 
And so when she went to school, she said other kids made her very aware of how different she was. Uh, with her, her lip that was a little different and the nose that was bent slightly different and her breathing and even her speech just sounded different from the other kids. And so when they asked her about it, she would say that I told them that I fell on a piece of glass when I was little because somehow that felt a little bit easier to say that it was an accident than that you were just born different. She said it was difficult. But I, I remember feeling the sense that I don't think anyone outside my family will love me or even like me. She said, then I, I remember Mrs. Leonard's class in second grade. Mrs. Leonard was the greatest teacher ever. <laughs> she was kind, she was loving, cheerful, she was a little bit chubby, <laughs> fragrant, but just warm, just warm. Mrs. Leonard, oh my. She said, I remember specifically what made me really uh, endear myself to Mrs. Leonard was when we did the hearing tests. Uh, you know, the auditory tests they do in school. And she said, one of my ears, I didn't hear very well in that ear either. And I didn't want to let that on because I didn't want to seem any more different than I already was. And so I tried to fake it. When we do the group test, I, I watched, you know, when the other kids raised their hand, have you heard this? <laughs> my hand went up. <laughs> But she said there was also a test called the whisper test, and that's where you went outside the door and you listened, and she would be at her desk and whisper something, and you had to plug one ear up and then plug the other up, and you'd listen for what she whispered, and then you'd repeat it back. And she said, I, I learned that I could kind of unplug my ear a little bit uh, and, and hear. You, you couldn't really tell if, how plugged up it was or not. But I wondered what she would say to me. I went last, and I heard her saying the other things, like uh, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? She said, but the words that Mrs. Leonard whispered to me surely came from God. And she listened, and she said them, and it changed my life. Mrs. Leonard whispered softly across that classroom, I wish you were my little girl. How do the words that we say and the things that we do fill the cups of those we encounter to where it's a resource that never runs out? How do we share the blessings of God with those we encounter. I think that God knows that we'll have a lot of encounters in this life, a lot of different people. How does what we say and do provide dignity for them? How does our encounter provide a blessing? Why do we still tell this story about Elijah? and the widow of Zarephath. It happened almost 2,900 years ago. That's a lot of years. I think it reminds us of who we are. And it reminds us of how we're supposed to love our neighbors. 
And as we heed this story, I think we'll find that our stores, our resources, like those of the widow, never run out. May it be so for you. Amen.